1: Hey, hey, welcome back to Trending. My guest today is Dr. Philip Chavez. We'll be getting started in just a second. Kind of a year-end roundup. What's happening at the end of 2019 with regard to the pro-life movement. Even some things happening right now with the debate over gender, quote-unquote conversion therapy. We'll be getting into all of that with Dr. Philip Chavez. I'm getting distracted here. I'm trying to go live on Instagram as we start the show. And a huge, exciting announcement. I'm going, oh, all the guys are laughing at me in the studio because one of my cousins just got engaged. So congratulations to anyone who has gotten engaged this Christmas, Advent season. We're happy for you. Shout out to my cousin, Catherine. Dr. Chavez, you are back with us. You are the head of the Men's Academy. Tell us what's going on with the Men's Academy right now.
2: Gosh, one thing that's interesting, which you do know about, Timory, is that um, actually because of your show, I've been connected with some local professors who have got me now into some of the universities, Compton College Dominguez Hills and I'll probably be speaking at uh, Cal State Fullerton and maybe working with some guys in Long Beach. And so there's um there's now policies in the state of California where funding is now gonna be granted not upon classes or enrollments, but upon graduations. And so there's a very mm-hmm. great interest now in the secular universities having male graduates, and since they're lacking in some, they're looking for programs to help build up the men. So that's where I'm coming in.
1: So isn't that interesting? So you're working sometimes with more of, I'm guessing, the uh, community that might experience a little more poverty, who's maybe a little uh, facing challenging circumstances with home life as well, because these are the people who tend not to graduate.
2: Exactly. And so what's established in at least a couple of these uh, Cal State universities is um, what they call the men of color. So the uh, Hispanics and the African-American Americans are trying to encourage a higher graduation rate between them. Yeah.
1: Awesome. It's so neat to hear what you guys are doing. And at the same time, it's a universal call to holiness and masculinity. So what are kind of some of the key pillars that you guys are working on among the college set that tie over into your work at the Men's Academy? To,
2: to my surprise, Timory, to my surprise, you know, most of the time I've worked with uh, men usually in the age of 30 to 60. And so I was somewhat surprised that men are gravitated or do find attractive the idea or the concepts of men being leaders, protectors, and providers and how that provides the basis for men to be priests, prophets, and kings. And they, they actually get those concepts, or at least they, they they incipiently are attracted to them and gravitate toward that, to my surprise. And so they see the spiritual life. What I'm trying to do is help them integrate it and see the, how that reality of the spiritual life is incorporated to their natural life as men.
1: If you've never heard the episode before, Dr. Philip Chavez has joining, been joining me regularly for over a year now here on Trending, and we have dove into really the pillars of your work at the Men's Academy, talking about what is the man. Male- transmission, uh, really cool episodes, some of the favorites here on Trending. So if you haven't found them, please head over to radiotrending.com. You can head over to my guest page and you can pull up all the episodes where Dr. Philip Chavez joins me. And he really dives into the in-depth work of working on the issue of masculinity in that call to living as men and women fully alive and specifically what that looks like for men.
2: That's right. And uh, as you say, too, uh, the complimentary part of women's an essential part of that. But it really is. It's a lot of fun. It's exciting. It's just to see men just come alive and come out of a rut, which many find themselves in, even devout Catholic men.
1: Absolutely. Today on the show, we're going to be talking about a little later on on the show, in fact, conversion therapy, uh, some things that people talk a lot about, what it is, what it isn't, we've talked quite a bit about here on Trending. You can check out some of those episodes, specifically what is conversion therapy. Uh, But we're going to be talking about a first-time conference that took place in London, England, and it is really a testimony of medical professionals and also many women who decided that after quote-unquote transitioning to becoming men by doing hormone replacement therapy, different types of top surgery, bottom surgery, they changed their minds and they're detransitioning. And so you can hear a little bit about that at the end of the show and kind of what the idea of freedom is and being open to conversion. To start, though, we want to look at a kind of urine wrap-up on some of the life issues a really exciting piece of news that came out. We've found out that nearly a third of all independent abortion clinics have closed. That's about 136 abortion clinics that we've seen close recently in the last number of years, about five years or so here. It is incredible to hear that, although this isn't Planned Parenthood, and we could say much to them and some of their clinics that have closed, these are independent abortion clinics that usually specialize in late-term abortion, actually.
2: That's interesting, too, and I, I read that as well. And I wonder, too, Timory, if that has to be the case, that it's probably less profitable and more risky to do that. And I would imagine uh, Planned Parenthood somewhat stays in, if I could use the words, a safer zone of ab- abortions, so they probably don't take those higher risks. And probably for them, it means a higher profitability, which I think is the bottom line for all these clinics. Um, they're going to close if they're not profitable.
1: Absolutely, and I think that this is also pointing to public opinion that in general when people realize that late-term abortion is a thing, because a lot of people don't realize it, to them that's going too far. That has passed the line. So then that's where we have the opportunity, especially this year in 2019, as some states shockingly have been kind of writing into their state constitution abortion through all nine months of a woman's pregnancy, which is already federal law according to the Supreme Court, Um, but people are trying to protect that in their state constitution case Roe v. Wade is overturned but for many people they're going oh well that's gone too far and people push back and say well that's been the law of the land unless a state or your state has passed some sort of restriction uh, you know beyond viability heartbeat or anything like that.
2: That's right so it's good these debates and these issues are being surfaced because now people are facing more and more I think looking closely more at what Roe v. Wade's all about and I think you're right people have been in the dark with the true impact and what that really means. Um, Cross all 50 states.
1: So some of the good news that we're seeing is that between 2010, really since 2010, should I say, so in less than 10 years, we've seen over 400 laws go onto the books in various states, pro-life laws, that in fact, even our pro-abortion opponents have admitted at times that some of these laws are actually just basic health standards safety standards admitting privileges to hospitals you know making sure that they're statistically reporting things but what's shocking is that for many of the abortion clinics are saying this is too much pressure on us. They'll appeal to Supreme Court decision decisions like, like Planned Parenthood versus Casey and say, well, this is causing an undue burden on the woman. You know, it's forcing us to close clinics. So these women are having to travel too far. And so instead of meeting these basic standards, many clinics are fighting this saying, well, we have to have an absolute right to abortion. And so we're finding many court cases are making their way up the chain to the higher courts. And it's interesting to see how this is playing out.
2: Yeah. So I, I think, again, these these clinics are experiencing uh, the pressures of lack of profitability when you talk about other restrictions like mandated counseling, sometimes certain issues of parental consent. Some clinics have to have physical standards. So the more and more these standards or these requirements are added, the less and less profitable these clinics become.
1: You're listening to Trending with Tim Ray. That is Dr. Philip Chavez of the Men's Academy. Another interesting statistics that, statistic that came out, I'm chewing on my words here, um, is that the CDC has said that there has been a 24% drop in abortion in the last decade so they're saying that's almost a quarter fewer abortions taking place now if you look at the fact that many abortion clinics are changing especially the independent abortion clinics some of which were also for profit you could see how there's correlation but i'm going to throw both sides i think more people than ever before are pro-life But also more people than ever before, um, or I shouldn't say ever before, but maybe in the last 40 years or so, uh, more people are finding uh, that they have this relativistic mindset and when they face a position that is difficult um, they make excuses and so I think a lot of people are giving in to you 46 abortions you know a lot of people are more in favor of hormonal contraception that works as abortifacients so on one side we're seeing this decrease in abortion but I think at the same side the abortions that aren't reported which are most of the chemical abortions sure and even the contraceptive use that continues to be pretty steady
2: Oh, I thought it was a little bit bit on the rise, but in any case, um, I think too. But overall, I think um, there is a certain awareness now, given technology that can't be denied. I imagine as it gets better, I forget that newer technology for ultrasound that's now being advanced. But in any case, you know it's interesting too. I mean, you know, with some restrictions now that are that are being advocated, such that now clinics have to show ultrasounds and whatnot, and and actually allow a mother to hear the heartbeat of the baby. I hear that's a deal breaker for many of these those women going in for abortions once they hear that beating heart things things really change and so the more and more we get to the reality of abortion the more closer people could see it for what it is the more and more it will decrease
1: well, you were talking a second ago, Dr. Travis, about how you thought, oh, okay, I thought that contraception was still kind of on the rise. It is. It's steadily growing. You know, I think yeah. that that's what's so shocking is that more and more young people are on contraception, more and more young women who think this is the only option to various health issues. It's so normal. And this is something we saw with the HHS mandate, where I remember in college, and I've said this before, if you've listened, um, I had friends who were on. Hormonal contraception for I'm putting up air quotes, you know, various health issues. And I would see sometimes where it would be an excuse then to be sexually active at times. But I also saw there are times where they couldn't afford it anymore. But once the HHS mandate kicked in, now they could have contraception for health reasons, sexual reasons, whatever it might be. And so there were various organizations, not just Planned Parenthood now, offering free hormonal contraception because of this government mandate.
2: Yeah, and unfortunately, too, as we'll probably discuss later, that... uh that distribution of contraception is now being liberalized more in the Catholic, excuse me, the secular high schools, which I think <laughs> is something we need. Is that an intentional to, slip yeah.
1: there?
2: <laughs> I don't know if it's happening there, too. But in any case, yeah, within the secular schools. And I am that's a, that's a very crisis for which I, I know we're going to probably talk about a little bit later.
1: So get this. In L.A. County, in one of the school districts, we found that there are going to be over 50 new, quote unquote, wellness centers opening up in the high schools run by Planned Parenthood. Coming back on Trending, we'll be talking about this and much more in our year-end roundup talking about pro life issues.
0: Timmery will be right back. Send her a tweet at Timmery. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. You're listening to Trending with Timmery, where morality and culture meet, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics.
1: 50 new health centers opening up in Los Angeles, California, run in the high schools by Planned Parenthood. We'll be coming up talking about that in just a second with my guest, Dr. Philip Chavez First, a message about our sponsors. Solidarity HealthShare is simple to help pay for affordable, quality health care. They enable the community to share in each other's eligible medical expenses. You choose a doctor that you want to see. Even integrative and alternative medical treatments are eligible. Solidarity HealthShare helps pay for NAPRO technology and costs associated with natural family planning. Solidarity HealthShare is dedicated to both faith, and your health care. Information is available at solidarityhealthshare.org. Again, that's solidarityhealthshare.org. Again, we're back. Speaking of health care, here's the shocking thing that's taking place. We're finding that the county of Los Angeles has put over $10 million into bringing Planned Parenthood into 50 different schools to open quote-unquote wellness centers and help implement further curriculum to the high school students about sex. My guest today, Dr. Philip Chavez of the Men's Academy. Initial reactions to this.
2: What a disaster. You know, in fact, I understand too that Planned Parenthood invested six million in there. So one of the things we're seeing is not that Planned Parenthood is aiding in that those efforts. I think they're really in partnership with the LA schools. So they're completely wed uh, with each other and yeah, they're going to engage in what, though they they call it leading to healthier lives and whatnot, ultimately it's going to lead to further abortions and promotion of abortion on high school campuses.
1: If you ever have the opportunity to speak to a Planned Parenthood worker outside of their you know, normal clinic area, if you find someone maybe works at Planned Parenthood, sometimes they're canvassing neighborhoods and malls stop and talk to them put a little ding in kind of their argument having to do with sexual reproduction and sexual health they are not thinking about the harms of sexually transmitted d- diseases they sometimes aren't even aware of the exposure that still occurs when you s- use a condom they're quote-unquote sex safe or safe sex protocols and they really don't think very hard about this so sometimes just to plant a seed you need to know your stuff and ask questions. I remember running into some Planned Parenthood workers outside of the mall in La Jolla one day in in San Diego and just asking them questions. I mean, they had no idea fully the impact of just using a condom. Not only that the condom could break, but the fact that the exposure still was very high that that the condom does not protect all the areas that are necessary i mean these people have no clue that they are helping increase further risk and then you start to challenge well what about a 13 year old what about a 14 year old sure and they're realizing more and more. Oh, wow. What I'm actually advocating for isn't as safe as I thought it was. I actually am kind of contributing to the problem by us giving out free condoms and giving condom instruction and then still at the same time offering the STD testing.
2: Yeah, this, it's amazing. I think what happens is once somebody advocates for something like abortion, I think what what happens eventually, I think the human mind is actually blinded to many things. And I think there's a great last, lack of grace to see the truths of these things, especially certain truths of the growth and development of a human fetus, of a human child. And so in virtue of this, Timory, I think it's important as we do approach, now I don't, I don't recall ever approaching uh, Planned Parenthood clinic director's uh, directly, or people working in that industry. Uh, but I have approached people who are pro-choice, and you can see that they're blind on many things, which shows the importance that when we do approach people. We have to see this is in some way a spiritual battle that we have to really pray and you know maybe seek the help of our guardian angels to communicate with them to, to enlighten their minds. Because the problem is I believe there's a great darkness caused by a lack of grace that makes these people uh, unable to see even some of the more basic truths.
1: Absolutely. That's Dr. Philip Chavez of the Men's Academy. You're listening to Trend with timoree i think a lot of people have fears so they're not willing to dialogue again whether it's a planned parenthood clinic worker who shows up at your door whether it's you know a volunteer whether it's a friend who disagrees with you on the issue we have to dialogue we've got to be right. willing to talk about okay have you heard the news i mean the cdc came out with all of these cases of babies that are being stillborn and dying right after birth because they're contracting syphilis and other stds when they're born i mean We're not talking about the fact that there's a huge rise of babies, you guys, having STDs. And sometimes sharing the most shocking news or being able to know what's happening does provide opportunity to talk about the issue of abortion without immediately hitting on that big thing that people find so deeply they need to protect.
2: That's right. And yeah, just to see these effects and to make people more aware of these effects, I think is vital. Um, but again, without prayer, I, I think it's going to be very difficult to open the minds and hearts of others. But like you say, I think we need to learn these arguments. Even I need to tighten up my own arguments, too. I mean, I'm at a clinic every week, and I don't get much of a chance to talk to women outside, but it is important we understand the basics of fetal development and the basics of of the repercussions that are what's happening when babies are being born, which aside from all these other effects, stillborn whatnot, you know, there's a lot of fetal abnormalities and a number of things with, for which are affecting babies because of these... These issues with, with disease?
1: Absolutely. And either, even simple questions like, you know, is a late term abortion necessary? Well, you know, these are questions that people need to understand because I hear young boys who will walk up and say, you know, man, I don't agree with abortion, but, you know, what if, you know, my girlfriend, you know, especially teenage boys, they're starting to like learn that they're caring for someone else. Interesting. And right. sometimes That's they're actually right. yeah. pro life and they're hearing, you know, other people are pro abortion. They're going, well, what about my girl? You know, what, what about her? What if her life was in danger? and they don't know how to answer that question they, and they don't understand that abortion's never the answer maybe right. an early delivery might be necessary maybe in early delivery after viability, maybe even possibly you know, there might need to be something else earlier on taking place, but they don't realize realistically the progression of the child developing in the womb, the abilities to save and treat both the mother and the child. So many people are so unaware, and I always come back to this. There's a reason that most of the OBGYNs and gynecologists do not perform abortions because it's not basic life-saving women's health care.
2: When it it comes to uh, maybe approaching these young men, as you say, to Marie, a couple of things I want to say. First first of all, those difficulties they, they point out, those are more of the rare circumstance or the more infrequent uh, conditions that happen. So, so, these things that could happen as a result of pregnancy, they're more rare than not. But secondly, too, one of the things I find, too, in young men, believe it or not, it's it's not as hard as I thought it was to tap into the desire for them to be be a protector. And so, if they're challenged to be a protector of their girlfriend, so to speak, and it and kind of tap into that and to help that help them identify that and see that. I think it's good to help them to rise up, you know, as a protector, as a protector of their girlfriend, as a protector of their child, as a way of really helping convincing them of the of the pro life argument.
1: I want to come back to another point here, and that is Planned Parenthood. People are going to say, well, Planned Parenthood's in the schools, but they're not performing abortions. You're right. The wellness centers will not be performing abortions. They will be giving access to contraception, condoms. They'll be teaching your kids how to have sex, what they consider, quote unquote, healthy and safe sex. If You don't know what that looks like. Um, Planned Parenthood has advised minors on how to engage in masochistic sex practices. That's documented online. It's horrific, you guys. Go and look at some of live action's undercover operations things. I mean, it's shocking. It's not what you want. But even then, here's the reality. They may not be performing abortions, but they will be referring for abortions. Absolutely,
2: and they're doing everything to lead up to that. Which you know includes, um, yeah, the promotion of contraceptives. Which, as they know, more they can promote contraception, they can pretty much uh, bank on the fact that it's going to fail in instances, and so that'll promote their abortion business.
1: I want to come back to another topic as well that is really exciting. So we have a good news. We see that abortion numbers have declined. Late-term abortion clinics, really those privately owned abortion clinics, are closing. Another piece of good news, there was a Kentucky case that ended up making its way to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court decided not to hear the case in Kentucky Kentucky that essentially uh, was bringing about a mandate of ultrasounds before abortion, so before a woman could decide to have an abortion. She needed to see the ultrasound of her child. See, and here should we say it is excellent news essentially in a two-to-one ruling of the Sixth Circuit Court. They decided that in fact this new ultrasound law coming out of Kentucky was constitutional. It did not violate the First Amendment. And in fact, the patient really, the woman, should have this to be able to make a decision. And so in the Supreme Court saying no to hearing the case, this Sixth Circuit Court still stands in their decision that it doesn't violate the First Amendment right to free speech for doctors and that it is good for women.
2: That's right. And certainly with a correlative of free speech would mean also in some way the the right to be informed. And so obviously it seems the Supreme Court and other, other legislators very simply see that, well if a woman does need the more she information she can get the more factual information um, as well as we have the right to speak we also have the right also to the, to the knowledge we need to make the right decisions and so I believe that's what this is mainly based on
1: well and the fact that Kentucky and even some other states and more so local areas have passed laws over ultrasounds this is actually a testament to the work we have see in crisis pregnancy centers for years we have seen for a very long time now that when we can get a woman who is abortion minded to go in and have that ultrasound to see the image of her baby, yeah. to hear the heartbeat, at least seven out of 10 women end up choosing to keep their baby. And so it shows that this gives the woman more freedom, more knowledge in making that decision, just like you're saying.
2: That's right. And and the women deserve that. And um, again, we're talking about the protection of human life. And, and it is their right to be well informed about everything that's happening because um you know we're all here to, to make the best decisions we're all here ultimately not just christians but as human beings to make the right decisions and anything that we can help them to lead that that we should we should be promoting that
1: you can learn more about dr philip Chavez and his work at the men's academy can you tell people where to go
2: then go to the men's org and um, there's also a number of podcasts I have up, um, over 30, I believe, now. So, yeah, um, join my podcast list on Podbean, Podbean and um, yeah, you'll find a lot of content there on the basics of of manliness
1: we'll be back talking about pro-life ideas that pro-abortion arguments have made apparently claiming that we've kind of taken some of their ideas and have not stayed true to the pro-life arguments we'll be talking about that freedom and what the church has talked about on these issues regarding life we'll be right back here on trending
0: you can listen to more of trending via the podcast on iTunes or the iHeartRadio app, where you can share your favorite episodes. You're listening to Trending with Timory.
1: I'm back with Dr. Philip Chavez here on Trending. He does incredible work with the Men's Academy. You can learn more about him in other episodes where he's joined me at radiotrending.com. Earlier in the show, we were talking about how important it is to stay informed on pro-life issues. If you've never read the book, there are some resources I'd recommend. I really would say number one resource, Why Pro-Life? It's really, you know, question and answer. It's written by Randy Alcorn and it is just an incredible and a very thorough overview of the most important pro-life questions, how to respond. I think that it would be well worth the read and even maybe something to have on your shelf. If you have a question one day, someone asks you and you go, you know, I really don't know how to answer that. You can either send me a message on Instagram at Timree, that's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E, or you can use that book and begin to train yourself in the knowledge of how to respond to these pro-life issues. Another great option as well, if you perform prefer more of a story format is Trent Horn, my old co-host here, uh, well, before we're trending on hearts and minds over at Catholic Answers, Trent Horn has written an incredible book as well, Persuasively Pro-Life, that would be more of a story format that you can check out. In the meantime, I want to look at this story. So there was an article that came out back in 2019 at the beginning, talking about how pro-lifers have been promoting liberal values. And the claim is, is that this isn't what the pro-life movement always stood for in fact this is kind of going against some of their own arguments and so it's written from a pro-abortion perspective and it's funny because you can tell they're a little sore about kind of some uh, pro-life victories and essentially Dr. Chavez what they come in discussing is how it's really the pro-life movement has started to take up the mantra of free speech and civil rights and this is why they've been so successful
2: That's right. It may be, too, they're focusing more on the rights as they pertain to individuals. That's not wrong. But I must say, as I started thinking about this more and even praying about this, you know, it is interesting that that when we do look at abortion, this may sound a little strange, but... I think it's more important that we speak or understand that in in abortion it's it's god who has ultimately the rights and two as we look at the moral law and the moral order the moral law and moral order have to do with the universals and there's something about abortion yes we could say it's approximate killing of a human life but it does in some way in general for the common good it thwarts and destroys even the common good and the common good of families so in that macro vision of not just the common good but even god's rights to be you know, who has precedence and and rights over life. It seems to me that should be our our main guiding light. But to use these proximate arguments about how how a a child's life is um, being destroyed and how its rights, its own rights are being taken away are still still valid arguments.
1: Yeah, and I think that's what's interesting is they are pointing to the fact that, you know, it's not just moral arguments that the pro-lifers have been using, but the value of the person. It's funny because if you've looked at some of the language over the last couple of years, we're finding that the pro-abortion side has been, and even some of the pro-gay rights arguments have been using the word dignity mm, and sure. human value. And this is something right. we really didn't hear um, pro-abortion advocates using really prior to Obama. You know, pro- Obama would use a little bit of this language sometimes, but I don't think people really knew what that word dignity meant. And even a lot of Catholics, it's a Catholic lingo, essentially. It's sure. us understanding that we have intrinsic value as a human person. But I think that that fundamental idea of dignity, self-value that is so fundamental to being a person has allowed for us to not just make the moral arguments, um, from the justice of God, you know, the, the, uh, fact that killing is not right, the domain of God, but really has helped us to have more of a loving response and helping people to see that actually free speech is important to engage in arguments. Um, And in fact, this is a very Catholic idea. You know, the pro-abortion argument is that, well, suddenly pro-lifers are okay with free speech for everyone. And in fact, they've advocated for people who they really disagree with to have free speech. But actually this is an idea that's a very fundamental to Catholicism. It's to have discourse over ideas, to be able to dialogue on important issues.
2: That's right. Though, if you were to look more carefully, I think, too, at what, what's presumed and under that, it's such a matter of speaking freely and to, to, to just sharing opinions or what's on one's mind. But also, when we speak, we should always, also always speak responsibly. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting, when we share ideas, we have a responsibility that when we share ideas that there's, there's a basis of truth in those ideas. They're just not our perspectives or our bias or, or what we're thinking or what we, we would like to otherwise think. Free speech, there's a there's a moral obligation there that we're speaking in accordance with the truth. You know, the truth is the object of the intellect. So when we speak, ultimately the end is for us to gain truth. And so we must always, in every argument, see a responsibility that to leading others to truth. And so, so the freedom, that's the freedom, is actually to lead one toward the truth, not just the freedom to say what one wants.
1: Well, I do think that this is where we need to help people who we're dialoguing with to overcome themselves and the arguments and even for us to overcome our ourselves and our pride, because as you say, discourse is meant to lead toward truth. But I find, and I was just having a conversation the other night with someone and he kept going back to phrases such as, well, I believe, I think. I feel every single one of his arguments started with that statement. And I remember after I was looking at my husband that night and I said, "Oh my gosh, I had, you know, so many frustrating moments because did you notice this person didn't ever speak a universal truth in what they were saying?" And this is where I think we have a great gift to give to this right to free speech as Americans is bringing truth to help people understand it's not what you think, it's what is true and helping them to question what is true.
2: Yeah, that's a good point. It is true. You know, it's interesting, though. You know, some people... As Aristotle would say, you know, we go from the more known to the less known, and so the more known for many people, it's not their experiential knowledge so much as as that leads to universal truth, but kind of how they they feel and their their inner perceptions. And I think, too, we've we've just been in a culture which validates so much subjective feeling, subjective thought, and subjective perspective. It's almost as though um, people are under the impression that overrides objective truth, or that is primal before objective truth.
1: You're listening to Trending with Tim Ray. That is Dr. Philip Chavez. We're talking about this article that came out in 2019 discussing how pro-abortion people are making the argument that pro-lifers are suddenly standing for liberal ideas. And this is essentially why we are doing so good in shutting down abortion clinics, increasing pro-life laws. I mean, did you guys hear that at the beginning of the show? Since 2010, we've had over 400 pro-life laws put onto the books and they are being de- in places like the Sixth Circuit Court, even in the Supreme Court. We need to continue to pray, have faith in God, and continue to be active in the pro-life movement. So here's another one of the arguments, Dr. Chavez. They claim that we are really advocating for human rights now, more fundamentally than we did before. And I thought this was interesting. You know, they're talking about how, well, they're suddenly referring to the fetus as, you know, a human, and they're focusing on the right of a human rather than the immorality of the issue. And I think that this argument ultimately comes back again from a Catholic perspective to natural law, that the fundamental right to human life is there. You know, it's in our, you know, in the constitution of the United States, but that's fundamentally a Christian idea.
2: Sure. And that, that, that makes it even more personal. And so, and so those those, the, yeah, the perspective of that orientation is good to use, and, and that becomes more intelligible, I think, to people, again, as we speak, who, underst- who, who seem to navigate from their own personal perspective. So the more personal we can make that the better. But you know, us in our own, you know, those who are Christians and those who are advocating always a pro-life platform, it's important, too, that we understand that which is most personal in human life that it's now in the image of Christ. Right. And so, so that's who we're protecting. So a person's personal dignity comes not just from the fact of their human identity, which of itself has great dignity, but now that they're stamped in that image of Christ, all the more so is the dignity so much more enhanced and Uh, I don't want to say deified necessarily, but it is stamped with that mark and divinity of Christ.
1: One last thing I want to talk about in this New York Times article, its opinion piece, uh, is how going from, you know, civil and human rights arguments, it kind of emphasizes this idea of the right of the unborn. And I talked about it at the beginning of this segment. We keep coming back to this fundamental idea of dignity, that the human person has value. And I really do believe in a culture that has seen so much brokenness with regard to the family. I sure. mean, we're seeing for the first time multiple generations now of divorce. Uh, we're seeing this increase in unwanted children. I mean, even the fact that an parent... Can tell not just their own child, but kind of an adult child, you know, I really didn't want you. I tried to have an abortion. I wanted to have an abortion. Maybe I wasn't able to obtain one. I mean, adults are still telling their children today because of a pro-abortion culture that there was something about you I didn't want. And so there's a lot of... uh Feeling of insecurity and rejectedness among so many, and I would say in particular, millennials. Yeah. That a lot of millennials, to hear that they have value, to hear that people see that a child has value. This is a language that they really want to hear.
2: I think so. And and because to see one's own dignity is to see one's own self-respect and, and worth and all the rest. And, of course, that's you know, to see our dignity and worth in the eyes of God is the highest. But we definitely want to see it in our parents. And I think, Timory, the, the reason why people are failing to see the dignity within themselves is because those who are pro- responsible for the formation don't see their own dignity. Mm-hmm. For example, if a parent doesn't see their own self-worth and their dignity, there's, especially their dignity in Christ, it's going to be very very, very hard to convey that to their own children or those around them, whoever they're mentoring or training or raising. And so, the more we can understand our own dignity the more we can, we can actually understand it, or rather convey that dignity to others. As our Lord tells us, you know, love others you know, as you love yourself. And so once we love ourselves and see that own dignity, we love that dignity within, then we can love and impart that dignity that we can see in others, and others can actually receive that uh, in a more fuller, more richer, more complete way. And so again, the absence of seeing one dignity in oneself, it's going to be very hard to, to show that or, or convey that dignity to others.
1: One other thing that I see we've gotten better at in the pro-life movement is that in focusing on the dignity, the value of the child, encouraging free speech, we've also emphasized not just the transcendent value of the baby, that we're made for so much more, but also the great value of the woman, that she deserves so much more than the abortion option, both from the perspective of the mother and from the perspective of the child.
0: Timmery will be right back. Send her a tweet at Timory. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. You're listening to Trending with Timmery, where morality and culture meet, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics.
1: Now, this is fascinating here. There was a conference that took place this year in london england and it was a annual conference it looks like it's going to take place world conference and it was a de-transition conference medical professionals from all over along with women who have truly suffered at the face of the pro-transgender, pro-gay movement, at the hands of experimentation who have had top surgery, bottom surgery. If you don't know what these things are, we've done a whole podcast on it with a um, plastic reconstructive surgeon here on Trending. Mm. I think that that's one of our highlights here this year. I uh, really understand what is top surgery. Did you know there's a difference between top and bottom surgery? Do you guys truly understand what is happening in these circumstances? Do you understand what's happening and the hormone replacement therapy that's occurring. We talk about that this year quite a bit on Trending. I want to make sure that you really get it. It's hard to hear. Please go back. I'm going to be posting some highlights of some of the top shows of this year, and that is one of them. But this conference shows that there are many people in the medical professional saying there's so much that is damaging about what we're allowing to occur There are challenges to the medical professionals and their freedom and really their ability to properly treat patients. We're going to be diving into that. Dr. Philip Chavez of the Men's Academy is here with me to discuss.
2: Yeah, it's just phenomenal this this detransition conference. You know, I, I can't even imagine all that underlies that because it's not clear to me all the effects of what happens when you you alter somebody's primal mental makeup because we all think and act and f- even feel as men and women. And so when that's completely altered and changed, I can't even imagine even the violence that goes on within these people. And so There's no wonder that once hormone therapy takes place, these puberty blockers and all the rest, how that cannot just damage so much of the human person and just put them in complete misery.
1: So there was a groundbreaking study that came out this year, and it was so fascinating because these scientists who are often in favor of contraception and uh, hormone replacement therapy get themselves into holes, will abandon their studies, will all of a sudden no longer ask for more funding to you know kind of not only finish their study, but then to reproduce it across the nation, to kind of disperse it, because they don't like the outcomes. One of the studies that came out this year was talking about how when an adolescent, when a child essentially that is still developing in the years of puberty right after a teenage girl, for example, is taking hormonal contraception, they found that that hormonal contraception, Mm -hmm. which can be similar to hormone replacement therapy. Can actually have a long-term impact on the psychological development of the young development of the young girl. Now, here's what's interesting: Dr. David Bell, he's a leading expert and psychiatrist, has now been talking about how basically these puberty-blocking drugs and this hormone replacement therapy that we're giving to children when they're or even teenagers when they're sure. supposed to be developing is creating long-term and shocking psychological consequences that we don't even know the full ramifications of. And here's why, because he said there's like next to no follow up and there's a no kind of routine visit or anything like this to really help us have the full picture of what's going on.
2: Yeah, that's that's really tragic, and you know, Timory. I mean, the earliest stage of anything and its growth—the more primal, and more universal its effects. So, so the more and more children are damaged earlier on, the more that 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 will have uh, a spread or a, a more, um, as we say. A universality and the effects that go on, and so so many they'll, they'll be touched in many ways. And I can't even imagine how that it would even affect them in terms of their uh, ability to even reproach relationships, their ability to love, but certainly their ability to feel. And you know, part of developing as man and woman is there's 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 a there's an emotional component there that's very strong that needs to be integrated. And even those under the best formation still experience some kind of emotional turmoil in good development of puberty. So you can imagine if that if, if there are causes in there which maldevelop that, you can imagine how much that would really affect the child down the road.
1: You're listening to Trending with Timory, That is Dr. Philip Chavez. There's one story in there that stood out. I was hearing about this young woman uh, who goes by the name of Kira. She had gone through, by the age of 20, a double mastectomy and hormone replacement therapy. She's detransitioning, and what she talked about was how treatment These treatments that she received, the mutilation of her body, the hormone replacement therapy, it was not the self-acceptance. It did not lead to the self-acceptance that she needed. And this is what's interesting is I've heard people who have gone through uh, some sort of quote unquote transition. You can't transition, you guys. And let's just be clear here. You cannot transition. You can mutilate the body. You can give it the wrong type of hormones But you can't change whether or not you're a male or a female. I mean, the body's just not created that way. Even how they have to stretch and move and manipulate skin, how the hormone replacement therapy has to be long term if it's going to be done. I mean, it's just not possible. But here's what's interesting. There are a lot of men and women who experience this transgender experience and say, we know it's not going to give us the self-acceptance. We know we'll never be a person of the opposite sex that we're trying to be. But we still want the freedom to be able to try and do it.
2: That's interesting. Yeah. Or maybe they're even put under pressure to express that kind of freedom. In fact, I was reading one part of one article that, yeah, in order to get acceptance, one has to follow through with these feelings and go through these procedures and these changes. But again, the bottom line is, you know, there is a created order and uh, for which we're to, to act as men and women. There will be drives to fulfill certain duties, propensities as men and women. And so when we, we actually act contrary to those, there's going to be conflict in the soul.
1: And I think that that conflict of the soul is what appeals to the culture today. There's, I was just listening to something on my way up here, and it was just talking about how when there's emotional discomfort, we seek various things to distract us. And those distractions sure. could be Instagram, it could be a TV show, all these different things that we do instead of the things we should be doing, right? Uh, instead of maybe the rest that we really do need to take. And I think that we hear so much research out there, and this is what it was really neat about having Dr. Laura Haynes here on the show earlier this year. She talked about how in so many of the cases, even a study that came out of Kaiser, Kaiser Permanente, was talking about how a lot of these people who are experiencing transgenderism have multiple undiagnosed medical illnesses mental health issues psychiatric issues and they're not being addressed and so i think the whole transgenderism it's a distraction from the dissatisfaction the discomfort the real medical issue and various things that are going on and unfortunately medical professionals because they're afraid and this is something that came out at this world detransition conference a lot of the medical professionals were talking about how they're uncomfortable saying anything. They're afraid. They're afraid that they're going to be labeled as transphobic, you know, anti-gay, homophobic, all these different things. So they're not practicing good medicine. And unfortunately, places like the UK, there are laws that have been passed where it's targeted doctors saying if so-and-so wants to be identified as a male, you need to treat them as a male, even though it's a female. The doctors are saying if she has a female body... I need to treat her as a female. That's right. I mean, it's just a whole debacle where the laws don't even make sense anymore.
2: Yeah, and this is where doctors have to start stepping up and um, and saying, No, I don't I'm not committing a hate crime here. I'm a doctor, I'm a physician. My my job is to bring the body to human health. And so when I when going through these sexual transitions, that's actually to bring the body to sickness. And that's not my job. That's not my that's not what I have been trained to do. And so I think they're gonna have to start standing up more and more. Um, but I, I, I see the pressure they're be put in these difficult positions I think, in some way, there's yes. We want to be we want to be empathetic with those who have gender dysphoria, gender identities disorder, but we want to make sure that when in helping anybody in any disorder, that we're leading them to the right, uh, the true means that bring really to human health and happiness and, and, and order, and, and these sexual uh, these transition surgeries and therapies do not do not help that process.
1: That's Dr. Philip Chavez of the Men's Academy. You're listening to Trending with Timory. If you want to share this episode, you can head over to radiotrending.com, find the episode you like, and also make sure you're subscribed over the holiday season, over Christmas, over New Year. That way you don't miss an episode. One of the things that you mentioned earlier, Dr. Chavez, had to do with the soul and how fundamentally femininity and masculinity is at the level of the soul. So sure. we have to remember that there's a biological reality and there's a spiritual reality. And sometimes we just limit to saying, Oh, we well, our biology is male. You know, there are sex differences written into literally every cell of the male and female body, you know, the greater capability for endurance on the side of women. I mean, we can talk sure. about all these different things, but we don't talk enough about the soul. And this is where right. I think, silence, sitting before our Lord, sitting in prayer, we become fully alive in our femininity, masculinity, only before God. And so ultimately this whole debacle is what happens when we turn our back on God. Even us faithful Catholics, when we're not willing to enter into that prayer to present ourselves before the Lord, To be willing to suffer a little bit when we take on these arguments, to be willing to suffer a little bit in our femininity, in our masculinity, to become the fullness of the person that we're called to be.
2: You know, it's interesting, Timmery, as you were talking, there was a concept that I I thought you were moving toward. Maybe you're implying that in your language already, which I think is very profound, that unity that's found in the human being between body and soul... Um, is what we need to experience, right? So those drives which we have to act, which are within the soul, are to to fulfill what for which the body is designed. But as you're bringing up, which I think is very profound, is that is that we can help find this unity of body and soul when we're united in prayer, mm-hmm. because there's a certain act of unity that we need. Prayer life helps helps integrate the uh, natural and the supernatural, the material and the immaterial.
1: One prayer I really do make is that. God will help me to fully understand my femininity, to live it, to come into that identity better because we live in a culture that is so broken with regard to femininity and masculinity. And I hope that this is a prayer you too can make that we become more so ourselves and help people to understand what truth is and even the truth written into our bodies and our souls. Dr. Chavez, where can people find you?
2: They can find me at themensacademy.org.
0: This has been Trending with Timmery. To book her to speak or learn more about her guests, visit radiotrending.com. That's radiotrending.com. You can listen to more of Trending via the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or the iHeart Radio app, where you can share your favorite episodes.